Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. We're going to look at God's multiplication strategy today, and we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 6 and kind of look at um, just the story of how God designed for his gospel to be spread to the ends of the earth. Um, as we do that, we're going to also look and see, to, to me, the book of Acts is, is a picture, is an image of how the enemy wants to play defense against us who are followers of Jesus, who are on the offensive. We get to play offense. Acts starts with Jesus, you know, just to review, uh, telling the, the disciples in Acts 1-8, laying it out and saying, hey, you're going to be my witnesses you're going to go and you're going to share about these things that you have seen and you have experienced just all the way to the ends of the earth. So they are challenged to be those witnesses all the way to the entire world. You see next, the Pentecost happens, and what does the enemy do? The enemy tries to raise up people to say, you know what, these guys are drunk. They're not even speaking truth. But God says, no, 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 no. These guys have my Holy Spirit that is speaking through them. And so Peter continues and they preach, um, you know, against the enemy, 3000 repent, believe and are baptized and the church is born from there. You know, short time later, Peter and John, they're looking at us saying, Hey, that was pretty cool. We were out there in public and we kind of shared what God has done, what he's put inside and, and what we've done. And, um, Hey, let's go to the temple courts. Let's share it there. And so they decide to go to Solomon's colonnade on the way. They see this crippled guy, stop, pick up a sermon illustration and move on. See this guy healed, and what happens next? They are there, and as they are there, man, the crowds are amazed. Why? Because this guy that was over 40 years old, okay, it's interesting that Scripture actually says this guy that was over 40, as just a side note, just lets us know that us older guys, there is hope for the miraculous in our life. Hello. So <clears throat> from there, what we have is, you know, they, they bring this guy up. They say, all these people are amazed because this guy all right, is healed. And so they say, hey, we're not the ones that healed him. The power of Jesus is the one that healed this guy. Hey, by the way, it's the same Jesus that you guys crucified, the same one that you guys mocked, the same one that you guys beat, the same Jesus that God raised from the dead and defeated the enemy with. He's the one that did this, not us. And so what happens? They get drugged in front of the principal's office and they tell them, look, you guys got to quit talking about this Jesus guy. They look at him and say, it's impossible. Sorry, we can't stop talking about what he has done in our life. It's not humanly possible for us who have experienced this change to be quiet about it. And so they go on and they continue to share. The enemy continues to play defense, continues to try to disrupt and discourage. But because the crowd was still going crazy over this crippled guy sermon illustration, they could do nothing to these guys, so they had to let them go. A couple of days later, they say, you know what, worked out really, really well um, when we went before and told these guys how ignorant they were. Um, they were just plain idiots, and so they need to repent and accept Jesus. Uh, let's go try this again. But before they did, the enemy comes in and, and you know, continues to um, stir up the priests and the temple guards and the Sadducees and say, you know what, um, we're going to throw them in jail this time. They get thrown in jail. God sends a get out of free jail angel. And so um, they go back out. They continue to spread the word. They continue to share. And God's word is continued to be advanced. You also see, you know, in Acts chapter 5 where Satan tried to corrupt the church from the inside. As Tim shared about Ananias and Sapphira. You see that as, as they came in, um, <clears throat> you know, they wanted to 
look the part, but they didn't want to live the part. They wanted to <clears throat> have that, that image of being interested in the image of Christianity, but they did not want it to infiltrate their lives. And so you see what happens to them. It was just another way that the enemy is trying to infiltrate the church and to work against them. The apostles continue, and they continue to go back and to share the gospel no matter what it cost them. Um, even being thrown in jail, continuing to go back time and time again. The enemy tries to defeat the gospel, but God continues to show up with the Holy Spirit and say, it's not going to happen. And so that's the same God that we serve here today. We serve that same God that desires for us to continue to be offensive with the gospel, to continue to go out and to be on offense, to play offense, not just to play defense. And so what does that look like for you in your life? What does it look like for you as God continues to challenge you just in your own personal journey? You know, again, you see they're arrested, threatened, beaten, and the con church continues to grow. Every time, and this is a fact, every time in history that the church is persecuted, faith increases. Every time the church is persecuted, faith continues to increase. You may go through that in your life. You may experience that in your life and in your own walk and in your own journey that when you are living out your life for him, that your faith will increase even when you are persecuted. Let's pick it up in Acts chapter six, we'll read verse one. It says, in those days, the number of disciples uh, were increasing. The Grecian Jews, um, you know, among them complained that the Hebrew Jews were not uh, looking after the, their widows like they should in their daily distribution of food. Is if you, if you read through this, you look at it and you're like, all right, what, what exactly does this mean? You know, the Hebraic Jews and the Grecian Jews and what does this look at? All it is is this. The enemy is trying to get in and to divide and conquer. The enemy is trying to stir something up inside the church, okay, to make the church kind of implode, to make them, you know, to, to, to have these disagreements and arguments because culturally the uh, Hellenistic Jews or the, the Greek Jews came from a background that was not as traditional. Um, and so they did not follow the traditional customs like the Hebraic Jews did, the Jews who, brought, who grew up in, in the, the Hebrew faith. And so uh, from there, the Hebrew faith, they embraced the, the Hebrew culture, the traditionalists, more of those things. And so what happens is the enemy gets in there and begins to stir up to where there's some complaining that starts. I know that you're thinking, imagine complaining in the church. That never happens. Um, for those of you who have sent multiple emails to me, um, sure, we listen, we respond most of the time. Um, no, it, it, it's one of those things that what you see these, what you see these, in, these apostles do is they didn't just write it off. They didn't just look at it and say, well, I'm just deleting that one. They didn't take that and they didn't just kind of pass it to somebody else. What they did is they looked down and said, hey, you know what? Hey, in this, let's kind of take a look at what's going on. Why? They use wisdom. They use discernment. And they try to figure out, hey, why is this happening? When did this happen to begin with? It happened when there were a number of the apostles continued to grow. When the disciples continued to grow, they were multiplied. There was great growth still happening, all right? And, you know, part of that growth, there's going to be issues that happen. And so the enemy wanted to do anything and everything he could to try to disrupt that. And so how do they deal with it? Let's look at it in verse 2 through 4. 
the apostles really, truly stayed true to their giftedness, and we'll see that. So, so the 12 gathered together all the disciples, and they said, you know, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So you see here that, you know, the apostles stay true to their giftedness. They stay true um, to the wisdom of raising up others to join the work of the ministry. It's not because they didn't think this task was below them or because they didn't think that this, this was not an important thing to do. They wanted to stay true to the giftedness of what they had instead of being, uh, you know, taken to do uh, an area where they might not be in a, as gifted in. Hear me loud and clear. A pastor should not have his time consumed in the task of essentially serving tables. However, I will say there is a serious problem with a pastor who thinks that that kind of work is beneath him or below him. And I'll tell you this from being on staff at this place. There is not a single person on our staff who is not willing to go and pick up a piece of trash or to be able to take a stinky diaper out of one of those rooms after the first service and go carry it out there to the dumpster because that's where it needs to go because that whole wing smells sometimes. And if you've worked in our preschool, you know what I'm talking about. There's not a single pastor or a staff member that we have that's not afraid to move a table from one place to another or to go and to wipe down stuff or to go and take care of whatever that there is. And I love the culture that we have here with our people. This morning, guy here and one of our guys that, that is just a volunteer, he literally yelled and he goes, hey, where's the vacuum cleaner? I said, it's right in there. Why? He goes, there's a big mess right here on the floor. He didn't look at me and say, hey, we need to get somebody to clean it up. You know what our volunteer does who has a full-time job doing a lot of great other things? He came in and saw that we had an issue and said, hey, where's the vacuum cleaner? I'm going to get it and I'm going to take care of it. Okay. It's the same volunteer that if you guys ever are in worship, want to go turn around and just see somebody absolutely worshiping the Lord like crazy. It's Jack Conklin up there in the top who is running words, running the nest. I'm telling you, this morning I was getting ready to walk up, and I am just seeing. I'm like, I think I feel the building shaking. And as I turn around, I see Jack standing up, dancing and singing and praising from the very top. This is a guy who's up there who, you know, his credentials don't say and go vacuum a church floor. But his heart does. And that's what I love about this place. We have so many people who have a heart to serve. You see an issue, you see something, you take care of it. And so when I was saying, you know, it's, it's for a pastor to do this all the time to consume him, that's what the, these, these disciples are saying. You know what? I'm going to use the giftedness that he's given me to do these things that the Lord has called me to do. Where am I going to be the most valuable? And so, you know, it, it's, it's looking and for them, it's not because they had a high view of themselves and they couldn't help with a small task. They, they, they had just a high view for what God had called to do, and they wanted to multiply and give others the opportunity to be able to serve as well. And if you look back at this and you see, you know, what does it mean to, to, to wait on tables, even as it says this, what happened in the, that day is that every day they would have a offering giving to the poor and to the widows. And so when it says waiting on tables, it wasn't like serving food as you would think of today in our day and age. What it is saying is that that money would come in and they were essentially bankers, all right, and finance people who would sit there and they would take the money and they would distribute it to the ones who were coming up who needed it, all right? And so you had the widows and you had the poor that were coming up and they would look and they would make sure that there is account for it and they would divide up the money that was given as an offering 
for the widows and for the poor. And so, you know, they were taking that and they were gifted in that area to do it. All right. And so uh, the, the apostles are saying, hey, this is one of the things that we're probably not the most gifted in this area to do it. And so we're going to appoint people who are gifted in that area to be able to serve and to be able to do that. What did they do? They multiplied themselves in their leadership. They were able to take that and to be able to choose seven who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom, who are, you know, looking, they're looking for godly character to say, how can these people serve? And so it's the same thing. Like, you know, I guarantee you, you do not want me and our lead pastor, Tim, baking your cakes. Okay. You don't want us in there with the old baking apron, baking your cakes. All right. You want Candace doing that. And everybody that's had her cakes say amen. But you know, or Nick, I've heard, you know, Lisa said that he looks pretty good in a baker's apron, but, um, they also say love's blind. Um, but you know, there's certain things and things that you do not want me and our lead pastor Tim do. You probably don't want, you know, our lead pastor arranging chairs in this worship center. As good as he is at speaking, he doesn't need to be looking at them and arranging them. Now, we give Tim a hard time because of some of the things that he does. And we all love moving chairs and, and arranging tables and chairs anytime he needs us to do so. And that happens quite often. So what is it? What is your gift? Where do you use your gift? What does your character look like? You know, and that's the thing for us as staff members, um, man, every week we're talking about new people that we meet. Every week we're talking about, you know, different opportunities that we have for people to serve. And we talk about different people in our fellowship. We talk about and say, Hey, this is a man, somebody, this lady's been hanging out with us for a while. She may be a great person to serve on this team or, Hey, this guy's been hanging out for a little while, man. It'd be awesome to see them serving in this area. And so we have conversations about people that we are meeting and getting to know in our fellowship about, Hey, how can we continue to multiply the work of the ministry? How can we continue to grow, help them grow in their own personal walk and for us to be able to grow in what we're doing here every week as, as, as staff, we do this, we're looking at, you know, how can we continue to multiply leadership in that? Are, are you a part of those conversations? Are you living your life in a way where your godly character is standing out and saying, Hey, I want to be a part of this. Had a gentleman came up after the first service said, you know what? I'm, I'm in whatever you need. I'm in. So we're going to pray through. I told him, Hey, let's meet up this week. Let's see where your giftedness is. Let's figure it out. Let's see how you can serve, man. Thanks for being a part of it. We had several people who had a stirring to get more involved. And that's what this is about. God's multiplication strategy. How do you continue to grow? How do you continue to be able to um, expand that leadership and to be able to give people the opportunity to be able to serve. This is a tremendous opportunity that the apostles looked at and they said, Hey, we're going to give even more people the ability to serve God in a way where their heart is. We want you to serve here at the cross. We want you to be involved in growing and doing so, but we don't want you just to serve, just to serve. We want you to serve in an area that you're gifted in. I met a guy about 12 years ago. His name is John. John the door holder, all right? And so John the door holder, all right, on a Sunday morning, I had seen him several times and as I was walking in this one Sunday, I'm walking in and John the door holder is just standing there like this, just holding a door and just had this look on his face that was just like, I am in absolute and complete misery, okay? See, because John the door holder was not a very gifted outgoing guy, um, John was... John was a turbo nerd, okay? He was a mathlete, not an athlete. I mean, he was one of these guys who, like, 
um, had retired at the time that he was in his late 30s uh, because um, he had helped a pharmaceutical company um, to, uh, to come up with a solution for a massive problem that they had. And so uh, John was a very, very intelligent guy. And so I walked up and said, John, what are you doing, man? He's like, mm, just greeting people. I said, no, you're not, man. You're being a doorstop with a little less personality. I mean, this is just what he was. And so I said, John, let's go grab some lunch or coffee this week, man. Let's, let's hang out. I want to get to know more of your story. This is not, I said, why are you doing this? He's like, I don't know, like six months ago, they said they need people to serve. So like I went and told them like, hey, I'll serve. And they told me to be a greeter. And I'm like, you're not being a greeter, man. You're not a greeter. You're a door holder at best. And he's like, I'm miserable. And I said, okay, let's meet it up. So we got to talking. And as we got to talking, I was asking, John, what is your giftedness? What can you do? What do you love? What do you, and man, he, he, I mean, incredible, incredible mind. He can take and he can look and he can see things and the way that the process needs to work. He can map things out. Um, the reason that he was so successful and was able to retire is because the uh, pharmaceutical company that he was working for, um, there was a massive uh, viral outbreak in Africa and the company was going to uh, donate 10 million doses to help fight the outbreak that there was going on um, back in the early 2000s. And he stood up in the room and said, you have a major issue. Um, you do not have doctors on the ground to put the shot in the arm of these kids. Everything you're talking about is great stuff. But if you do not have a doctor who is on the ground to put the shot in the arm of these kids to help them with this viral outbreak, you're not going to do anything. They said, hey, appreciate you being here. Go sit down. They continued on. Two months or two years later, they had that issue. Everything was there. It was shipped. Everything was sitting in Africa, but they had no doctors to put the shots in the arms. And so John, they called him back in, said, hey, we have a problem. What you said two years ago is the issue. How do we fix it? He created a system and developed something to be able to fix it. And that's why he was able to retire in his late thirties. Genius guy, phenomenal, phenomenally smart, incredible guy, not a good greeter. Okay. And so we want people to serve in the area where they're gifted. So I sat down and I said, John, here's, here's where we are with where the things are in the ministry right now. At that point with where I was at and what we were doing, it was like a wave that is cresting and it's either going to fizzle out and go away or it's going to continue to grow and to build and become a great wave of ministry. And I explained this to them and I laid out, hey, here's what we have going on. Here are the teams. Here are the ones we're working with. Here's how we're doing what we're doing. Hey, here's this new thing that we're looking to do. And man, it's going to be a huge task. Here's what I've got. Hey, here are about 40 volunteers. Here's about 50 different partners that we're working with and how we're doing it. Here's what I need. I need a CEO essentially of what we're doing in this ministry area. Um, and I'm, I want you to pray about if you would be interested in doing this. And I just laid it out for him. Hey, some weeks may take you 40 to 50 hours a week. Some weeks may take you 20 going to be a lot of work you're going to have to do. It's going to be a lot of mapping, a lot of process stuff. A lot of people you're going to talk to a lot of these things. It's a good bit of work. Okay. But here's the catch. I can't pay you one single dime. If you're willing to do this, it'll be hundred percent voluntary, but this is the need that we have. I said, I'd, I'd like to ask you to pray through this. John called me three days later and said, I am absolutely 100% in. I'll be there in about 30 minutes. Why? Because we gave him the opportunity 
to serve in an area where God had gifted him and he could care less about the money. He didn't need it. He wanted to serve God. He wanted to use the giftedness that he had for God's glory. And that's the thing. Absolutely nothing wrong with being a door holder. Nothing wrong with greeting in the parking lot. And you know what? There's nothing, uh, no greater task of being up here teaching or preaching than there is for being out in the parking lot, greeting people and helping people to park or being in the cafe and working or being in the preschool working or being in the kids ministry, wherever it may be. One is not greater than the other. You know, in fact, if you look back and you, you look at the Greek, the same word that you used in verse one for the distribution of the food, the same word of distribution is the same word they use for ministry in verse four. It's the same word. Why? So, because what they were doing in the distribution of the food was just vitally as important as the ministry they were doing in verse four. And so doesn't matter, you know, if, if you feel like, or you think that this is maybe not as, as, as tremendous of an opportunity as that one would be serve in the area where God has gifted you to do so. This whole idea between being useful to God and being valuable for God. We want you to serve in an area where you can be valuable for God. That's the idea. That's what we're looking for. Where is your giftedness? Are you using it to serve the Lord? Are you using your talents, your treasures, your gifts and abilities to serve the Lord? You know, and that's the thing. It's like, it can be in your workplace. It doesn't matter if you're a waitress, a lawyer, a coach, real estate agent. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. You can do that as a business owner and serve the Lord wherever you're at. You can do that and use the giftedness he's given you to be able to serve the Lord. That spiritual service and how you serve him is what God is looking at. He's looking at your heart. He's looking to see, hey, how can you continue to grow in this area? So <clears throat> one of the things that we look at is God is a God of multiplication. We can see that. And so how do we fit into that? We try to reach, to teach, to train, and to send. We want to reach people. We want to teach people. We want to train them up and to raise them up, and we want to send them. Send them out. It could be across the world. It could be across the hallway. It doesn't matter where it is. We want to see God use you. Where are you at in this process? Where are you at in your journey of allowing God to be able to raise you up and to be able to send you out to do the work of his ministry? Um, I remember my, I graduated from college. But a month after I graduated, I was working at a student camp or serving there at a student camp um, with a church. And, man, I met this little frilly uh, ninth grade kid, um, short little dude with frilly hair. And I walked into the, the room, and he was sitting there reading his Bible while everybody else was out at the beach or out at the pool. He's sitting there reading his Bible. And I'm like, all right, weirdo, what are you doing? And you don't you know there's a beach right here? There's everybody out, the students are out here. And he's like, no, man, I'm just reading, I'm studying. I feel like that, man, the Lord's calling me to do something big and he's going to send me to do something. And I'm like, man, okay, uh, tell me a little bit more. And so he says, man, I gave my life to Christ recently and I just can't get enough of this. And I'm thinking, you know, I wish I had the same passion in my walk with Jesus as you have. But I didn't tell him that, but I thought it. And so for the next few years, I began to walk with this young man and began to see God really continuing to grow him, to raise him up, to do some pretty incredible things. Goes off to college, continues to be able to serve um, the Lord and do some great things, um, continues to grow and continues to um, really help to disciple people, um, gets out of college and ends up going to several nations around the world and doing some great ministry, using the gifts that God had given him to do so. And um, you know, 
Turns out that back in uh, March of 2020, great year by the way, um, Ronnie Malin joined our staff and our team. And so Ronnie came in, we began to share, you know, hey, here's some great things that we're looking to do with our global outreach. And as him and Jenna came in, um, he even laid it out and said, man, we're just praying that God, you know, gives us the opportunity to continue to be sent wherever he wants to send us anywhere in this world. And so as we continue to pray uh, for them, um, you know, they served here faithfully for a couple of years. And sure enough, God uh, raised them up and uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, sent them out. Um, they are now serving, um, as many of you know, uh, in Brussels and continuing to be able to serve for the next uh, three, three and a half months, um, serve that next generation. And so they're using that giftedness that God had given them, okay, to go and to multiply, to continue to expand the gospel. And so we have a pretty cool update from them uh, for you guys to watch. Bonjour. Good morning, Cross family. Greetings from Brussels, Belgium. We've been here for a little over two weeks now, and we've gotten to know the area. Uh, we've taken some intensive French classes and gotten to know the missionaries that are here. Yeah, we're so thankful for your support and for investing in us. At the cross, we believe in investing in others and in the next generation. So that's a lot of what we're going to be doing this summer. We're going to join the missionaries as assistant team leaders, and just in a couple of days, welcome seven college-age students to join our team. And so we're going to be pouring into them, uh, going through some different things like classes uh, on theology, identity in Christ, what is missions and ministry, and then the afternoon and evenings, we're going to get a chance to go out and do that. Um, and so we're having a great time here. We have gotten to know some of the different people in the city. We've gotten to worship with the local church. We had a chance to travel to Ghent, which is the other town that we're going to be doing ministry this summer. And we feel like we're settling into a, a nice rhythm of life. And we really couldn't do this without your support and prayers. Yeah, um, we couldn't do it without you, so uh, continue to pray for us as we go about this summer. And we would love to hear from you. God bless. Bye. So I want to encourage you, continue to lift up Ronnie and Jenna as they're there for the next few months. Continue to multiply the gospel. Think about how many thousands of people they're going to get the opportunity to invest in and to be able to share with just in the next few months. And so continue to pray for them. See, just like them, God may call you across the world, but he may just call you right across the street or across the office. He may call you just to pick up the phone and to call that family member you need to have some conversation with, or he may call you to ask you to call a friend, somebody that you know is going through a struggle or a coworker, just to ask how you can pray for him. So give God the opportunity to be able to use you no matter where you are, no matter what you are doing. It's a tremendous opportunity that we have to be able to serve God. So as you're looking at it, you know, we can look and we can see. Just a couple of different pictures, images, okay? John the door holder, how God used him. Okay, you can see Ronnie and Jenna, how God used him. We're going to get the opportunity to look at an image of one of these people, one of the 12, one of the seven that these disciples raised up and said, hey, here's what we are looking for. Here's what we're looking to do. They had a tremendous opportunity to be able to impact a lot more people and give them the opportunity to serve the Lord, the ability to serve God. Why? Because they multiplied themselves in leadership. And so that's what we're continuing to do even here today, continuing to grow, continuing to raise up leadership and to be able to help others to be able to see and know, you know, how God can use you in your journey. And so, you know, 
we desire to reach, to teach, to train, and to send. We desire to be able to see people to grow in their walk and to grow in their journey. And so we want to we continue to uh, allow people to do that and, and to, to provide opportunities to do so as well. All right, let's get back to verse, uh, Acts chapter 6. Let's look at uh, 5 through 7. And you'll see how did the, the disciples handle this when opposition arose and when, hey, inside the church there was you know, some, some potential conflict. Um, they looked for these guys who uh, were filled with wisdom and spirit, with spirit and wisdom. And so uh, verse 5 says, this proposal pleased the whole group. Okay, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a converted uh, convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles, and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples uh, in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Even a large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. So here's what happens. They raise up and they look at these guys and they say, let's, hey, these seven guys, let's go raise them up and let's pray over them. Let's send them out. Let's let the work of the ministry do. What happens? It says in verse seven, man, that the gospel spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem, man, increased rapidly, even to a point at where some of the priests who were against what they were doing turned and said, you know what, this Jesus that you guys are talking about, maybe he is the real deal and we want to follow him as well and do what God uh, has called us to do in that journey. And so you see just the, the way that this pleased the whole group, that they looked at it and they saw like, hey, we can take care of this issue. They use that wisdom and the discernment to be able to do so. Like you saw illustration of John, like you heard about Ronnie and Jenna, we also get a picture of just one of these men. You see Stephen here. It lays it out for the, the rest of uh, chapter 6. It talks about Stephen. Um, verse 8 says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did wonders and miraculous signs among the people. But then it says in verse 9, opposition arose. So think about this in your life and in your journey. You get a picture of what Stephen's going through. He is now one of these guys who is serving at the tables. But that's just not all he did. He continued to live out his life for others to be able to see the giftedness that God had put in his heart. He continued to live that out for others to be able to see what God could do in him and through him. And so what happens? Man, the opposition arose. You ever been there? You ever gone through something? And, and when the enemy tries to attack, you know, the enemy tries to do things to disrupt you in your life. Man, it could be, you know, the different people that you have that you're doing life with. All of a sudden, the enemy kind of gets in there, and, and man, there's tremendous distractions. There's tremendous chaos that happens, you know, and, and so as you will read on in uh, Acts 6, man, that they uh, created uh, false witnesses against him. They created lies. I mean, they spread all these kind of just terrible things that Stephen had done, and none of it was true. You ever been there? When you're doing the things that the Lord has said, hey, I'm, I'm setting you up to do these things, opposition will arise. And so, you know, this is one of the things that the enemy uses against Stephen and he'll use against us as well. You know, how does God respond? God responds with saying, stay here where I am. You are who I've called you to be. And as long as you stay in the middle of my word, in the center of my word, I'm going to continue to be there with you through all of it. And so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you as you're praying through like, Hey, what does it look like for you in your walk? What does your journey look like? Even the giftedness that you have. I mean, somebody may come to you and approach you and say, Hey, here's an area we'd love for you to serve. Pray through it. Don't just do it because you know, it's one of those things that you feel like 
hey, they got a spot and they need somebody, hey, do it because that's where, you know, you're, you're really feeling called or led to do, unless your wife tells you to do it, um, which happened with one of our staff members. She came on and said, hey, we need somebody to work in our volunteer, to volunteer and run our parking lot ministry. The next day she came in and said, it's no problem. I got the great guy. He's perfect. He's going to do it. And so um, Anna Grace just looked at uh, Trevor and said, hey, you're going to run our parking lot ministry and help with that. You're serving in that area. And so Trevor, we appreciate you stepping up and serving so generously and graciously in that area. So no, but it's, it's one of those things that even in those ways, even how we do what we do, um, you know, being able to look at it, being able to say, you know what, the gift that I have, God, I want to use it for you. How do you do that in your life? What does it look like? And so, you know, for Stephen, he didn't just sit at this table. He didn't just sit at this table and distribute, make the daily distributions. Stephen took it and he lived out his life for Jesus with everything that he did. And if he wasn't doing that, then you wouldn't see the opposition arise. And so you can see that in his life and in his journey. What happens when opposition arises? And this is where I really want to focus in on and end on right here. When opposition arises, it says in verse 15, it said all these terrible things about him. They made up all these lies, provide all these false witnesses. And it says that all who were there, okay, all were sitting in the Sanhedrin, looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like that the, like the face of an angel. And I've spent years kind of working through this. I'm just kind of studying that statement and looking and seeing. And, you know, the, 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 the best way that I can describe it is this. As Stephen was sitting there, they're hitting him with this barrage of statements. And he doesn't get angry and red-faced. Um, as they're hitting and saying these things about him with, with these false statements, um, Stephen doesn't just laugh it off. Um, if you see some of the things that, uh, of, of how it's coming out and how that they're coming at him, um, he does not have a mockery, um, like a current, um, trial between two celebrities that you may have seen going on. He doesn't respond that way. What he does is he sits and he has the face of an angel, which means this, he had the countenance of God all over his life. He had the countenance of God all over him, the presence of God all over him. Why? Because those attacks were not falling on him. They were falling on him. And so Stephen was sitting there and he was re re responding the way that he knew how to respond, that it wasn't his to defend. It wasn't his to try to justify. It wasn't his to do anything other than allow God to be in control. I believe this about Stephen. How did Stephen deal with this? I believe that he knew how strong his relationship with God was. And the strength of his relationship with God showed to others. I believe that Stephen dealt with this because he knew that God would be his shield and his reward. If you look back at the Old Testament, God lays it out and says, I will be your shield and your very great reward. And Stephen knew no matter what happened. Basically, that means that shield and reward means I am everything and anything that you will ever need. That's what God says. I will be anything and everything that you ever need. I will take care of that. And so Stephen knew that. He knew that God would be glorified through the situation, and he knew the truth of the gospel would be advanced no matter the cost. And so that's why he had the face that was like that of an angel. How did he get to that point? The same way that I believe that we can. 
We trust in God to be that shield and that reward, to give us the opportunity to live our life for him. Uh, Tim hit it last week, introduced it, and I'm going to go a little bit deeper into it. A.W. Tozer's Five Vows for Spiritual Strength. And I believe that this is how we get to that point where we can give God the opportunity to have um, just complete and total control in our life, and we can live our life for him the best that we can. How we can have and live in that same confidence that the apostles lived in and the same confidence that Stephen lived in. The first is this. The first thing we have to do is we have to deal thoroughly with sin, to confess it daily. We have to deal thoroughly with the sin that we may have in our life. What does it look like uh, to, to, to be able to do that? I'm going to make sure that I, that I can identify and repute sin that I have in my life. I'm going to ask God to show me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, show me the things in my life that are contrary to you and to your word. Reveal those things to me. Reveal the things that I need to confess and ask you to forgive in my life. And it's absolutely necessary that we deal with sin personally in our lives because God is a holy God and sin is of this world and he will not mix the two. If you want sin to be consumed in your life, then guess what? You're going to be pushing God to the side. And so God says, I want to be thoroughly, thoroughly uh, throughout your heart and through your life. And so what does it look like to deal thoroughly with sin and confess it daily? The second thing is this, never own anything. That doesn't mean that you can't have things. That doesn't mean that, you know, there's not stuff that there is, but do you own your stuff or does your stuff own you? Okay. Are you in possession of it or does your stuff possess you? Are you stewards of it or are you owners of it? See, God's blessed us and given us the ability to be stewards over the things that we have. You think about toddlers. One of the first words that comes out of their mouth is mine, right? Somebody doesn't have to teach them that. They just want it, mine, okay? I remember when Auburn was about a year and a half, Emma was about uh, three and a half years old, and she had one of those little toys that was plastic, and you just put the rings on in the order. And so I remember she was sitting in the floor playing with it, and Aubrey had came over, and he wanted to pick one of the rings up and put it on. And Emma grabbed it and said, mine, and then picked it up and hit him in the head with it. You know, so it's just one of those things. You don't have to teach somebody mine. They get that naturally, all right? And so uh, that's one of those things that we, we deal with and struggle with. Never own anything. We are stewards. We are not owners. The third thing is this. Never defend yourself. We're all born with this desire to defend ourselves. And if you insist on defending yourself, God will allow you to do so. But when people want to attack you, when people want to say these things to you, when they want to do these things, you can go on the defense and defend yourself or you can allow God to take care of it. And this is what I encourage people to live. Live in such a way that when your integrity gets questioned, it will speak for itself. Live in such a way that when your integrity gets questioned, it will speak for itself. But if you turn to defense and you defend yourself, then God will allow you to do it. But if you turn your defense over to the Lord and you allow God to defend you, he will do so. He will defend you. The fourth thing is this. Never speak badly of others. Love covers a multitude of sin. And instead of talking bad about somebody, go and have conversation with that somebody. If you see that they have a struggle or if you've heard that they have a struggle, man, you go to that person directly and you have conversation with them. And if they listen to you, great. And if they do not listen to you, then you take somebody else with you and you have the conversation together with them. 
And if they do not listen to that, then you can turn them over to the Lord and allow God to deal with them because I promise you he will. He will deal with them in a way that he seems and deems necessary. Never speak badly of others. God will take care of it, okay? Um, with the same heart that you judge, you will be judged. Lays that out in Matthew 7 too. Um, James, you know, lays it out too that, you know, who are you to be a judge? Who are you to be the lawgiver and the judge? You know, it's not for you to do. It's for God to do it. The fifth thing is this. Never accept any glory. God is a jealous God and his glory is his. It lays it out in the Old Testament where God talks about not being and taking and putting other things above him or in his place. God is a jealous God. And if you want to take the glory for what God has done in a situation, then enjoy it because it'll be one of the last times that you'll get the opportunity to take the glory for doing that. Because God is a jealous God. And, and the, it's quite natural for people to maybe want their Christian service or to want the opportunity to display their talents. And there's a time and a place and a way to be able to do it, but you've got to do it in a way that it honors the Lord. And so, you know, being able to give God the opportunity to be glorified is absolutely key. Um, God does not share his glory with anyone. Um, we are a reflection of God's glory. And so live your life in a way that you can be a reflection of that glory. Never accept any glory. How do you deal with this in your life? How do you live your life in a way that gives him the ability to be your shield and your reward? You lay those things at his feet, you dive into his word, and you allow him to be able to show you how you can live your life for him. And that's the best that we can do. Continue to give God the opportunity to be able to use you personally in his multiplication strategy. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.